Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. So let's get ready to go back into Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5. And we will get started this morning. How many of you guys are just hungry for the Word? Anybody just get hungry for the Word of God? That's good. That's good. You're in, ooh, man, I'm, I'm booming today. All right. All right. Trying out a new system. Pastor Aaron started it last week, so I'll try it this week. All right. Two weeks ago, though, I, st- I talked about a hard heart, having a hard heart. How many of you guys remember that message, uh, having a hard heart? Uh, this could be considered part two, I guess, in a, in a way, with an interesting little twist to it. Uh, so many people were set free last week. So many people had uh, different, uh, different testimonies of things that were going on and things that God just really set them free in a lot of different ways. Uh, I talked about how it was our best year ever last year in 2017 and all of that. And, but, but really, we came to this question, do we really want to be super productive people or do we want to be spiritually healthy people? Do we want to be super productive parents or do we want to be spiritually healthy parents? Do I want to be a super productive pastor or a spiritually healthy pastor? And we came down to the end of that and it's really about this, about letting God capture our attention again. Letting God capture our attention again. And so this may be considered part two with an interesting twist today. Ephesians chapter five, let's start off in verse 15. It says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How many of you guys want to live wise? We want to walk wise, right? Walk wise. Uh, last week after service, after second service, a few of us went out to eat. We went out to eat at Culver's. How many of you guys like Culver's? Anybody like eating a greasy hamburger? So we were there just sitting at Culver's and we were just having a good time eating our hamburgers. In fact, we were just uh, making fun of, of this next picture. Go ahead of this, uh, this guy. Let's go ahead. Yeah, Joe Buck. Yeah. Just kind of making fun of this guy. That's for all you Royals fans out there. Just uh, how many of you guys instantly are just like amen on the inside when we're doing that? Okay, I know it's wrong, but it was funny. And so, so we're there just kind of hanging out, having a good time. Take the picture down. Thank you. Um, and as we're talking, as we're just sitting there talking, uh, we just off to the side, just in the booth next to us, there, we could tell there was some situation going on. There was this uh, lady who, and her son, you could tell that, that things weren't going very well in their life. In fact, we just kind of surmised real quick that they were homeless and just really in need, and she was crying, and we're having our conversation over here, and the whole time this other situation just continues. And we could all just kind of, we're talking, but we could all just kind of feel, feel the pull of the Holy Spirit. Have you guys ever been in one of those situations where it's like, you just kind of want to do something about that? Even though we didn't have words about that, we could all just sense the Holy Spirit. And so uh, eventually Becca got up and went over and began to talk to her. And, and uh, I got up and Megan got up. Different people got up and, and we just began to, uh, began to minister to, to them. And it was just one of those situations. We helped them out as best we could and they moved on. But how many of you guys have been in those situations where you're sitting there and you know it's like a crossroads moment? You know you could go on with the day and everything would be just fine. But at the same time, you know that you would have missed out on something, maybe significant. And if you went on, you wouldn't even know what you missed out on. Have you guys ever been there before? This is what I feel like maybe this topic of having a hard heart is for many of us. It's like we could go on and it would be fine. But if we do, we, we kind of know that we're missing out maybe on something possibly significant. And if we do go on... We may not even know what we miss. And so I want to just take just a moment for us to pray for God to capture our attention, for us not to move on from this topic, for us to be completely real. See, the the easy thing would be to move on. But I believe God wants to do a deep work in, in a lot of us throughout this year. And if we're going to do it, if God is going to do a deep work, then he's going to have to plow deep. And that means we're going to have to open up our heart and he's going to overturn some soil and it's going to be uncomfortable for a season. And so I just want to pray. Would you guys pray with me right now? Lord, we just thank you that you've captured our attention. God, I just pray that you would soften our hearts. 
Lord, I pray that we wouldn't move on as a people to the next topic or to the next task or to the next thing that will simply mask over what is happening with us on the inside. Lord, do the deep work in us. I know we have to volunteer it, but Lord, I'm volunteering myself. Do the deep work in me. In Jesus' name, amen. So if God has captured your attention a couple weeks ago or last week or in this season, there's a temptation for us, and it's just real, to go back to playing games with God. To go back to just playing kind of a, a, a drift back into a game with God. And let me tell you, like that scripture says, that's not a wise way to live. It's not wise. You see, it may be convenient, but it's not wise for us to do that. You know, uh, maybe playing a game with a four-year-old, you know, you can win. How many of you guys have kids? It's like you play and you just like crush your kids. Anybody ever do that? Like there's no mercy. There's no mercy. How do you guys remember the time? I just think about this the other day. How do you guys remember that moment when all of a sudden your kid could beat you at a video game? How do you guys remember that? It's like before you're playing like this. I mean, you're just like just killing them. I mean, you're just like destroying them and just loving every bit of it as a good dad would. And then there's that moment, right, where all of a sudden they can win. Suddenly for me, that moment, I remember that moment. That's the moment that I mysteriously became uninterested in video games and haven't been ever since. I don't know what happened. It's just like the anointing left. I don't know. It's just gone. But it's never wise to play games with your kids once they can beat you. In fact, my son, I was playing chess with him, played three times against him last night. He beat me every single time. I'm just like, what is going on? Suddenly, I don't want to play chess anymore. I'm done with that game. God doesn't want us to play games. He wants us to live in the light. And our heart needs to live in light. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Let's go to the book of Acts, though, because there's a strange story in Acts chapter 5 that you may have not really known what to do with, all right? Acts chapter 5, verse 1, it says, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself one of the proceeds, some of the proceeds, and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? So you get the picture of what's going on. He sold the land. See, you got to remember in the book of Acts, everybody was selling everything. Everybody was selling everything and putting it all in a big pile for everybody. And so Ananias, he wants to look good because everybody else is selling everything. Everybody else is giving everything. And so Ananias sells his property and he comes to bring the money. And instead of bringing all of the money like everyone else was doing, he kept back part of it for himself, and yet he told everybody else that he had given the whole amount. The only one who knew was his wife and God. And so, all of a sudden, this was revealed to Peter, though, through the Holy Spirit. Like, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Why are you doing this? And he says this, it says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? In other words, you didn't have to even sell it. You didn't have to sell it. It was yours. No one forced you to. And after it was sold, it was, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. He died. Okay, that's the translation. Okay, that he died. He just fell over and died. That's a bad day. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. How many of you guys would be afraid if that happened in this church? Somebody came and they were as offering time and they told everybody, hey, you know, I sold this piece of property and I just want to announce I gave the whole thing to the church. And it turns out they didn't give the amount that they said they did and they came in front of everybody and they died. You guys might want to, like, I'm writing the right amount on my check, okay? I'm going to be completely truthful from here on out. And that's what everybody else was. So three hours later, his wife comes in. She doesn't even know, but they've already taken her husband outside, dug a hole, put him in the hole, buried him. She comes in, doesn't know about any of it. And Peter says, hey, how much did you sell that property for? And she tells him the wrong amount to try to impress everybody. He says, uh, that was kind of a mistake because um, your husband was just in here and uh, those young ushers at the door, they carried his body out and buried him about three hours ago and they're going to do the same to you. Boom, she falls over dead and the same thing happens. 
Is anybody uncomfortable with this scripture? This isn't, this isn't a refrigerator verse. This isn't like what you want to tell as a bedtime story to your kids. You know, it's not like one of those. But it is rather revealing because here's the thing. Here's the issue. And this is what I want you to get. To live right, we have to live in the light. To live right, we have to live in the light. You see, the only thing that Ananias and Sapphira did wrong was play games with God. It wasn't about the property that they needed to sell to be right with God. It wasn't about the money. They could have kept, they were free to keep all the money if they wanted to. It was simply that they chose to live in darkness and to try to live in darkness rather than in the light. It was that they were playing games with God. To live right, we have to live in the light. So before we go any further, I want to lay a foundation with a spiritual truth that we have to get a hold of. If we, and we, it's really very, very simple, but I want to illustrate it through a story, and it's on video, so let's watch. All right, so a little over three years ago, we bought this property, and it had a house on it that had been foreclosed, and it's been sitting for like two years uh, empty. And so, uh, you know, moving out into the country, we wanted to get some chickens and stuff, and so there was this shed that was already on the property. I thought, man, I'm just going to turn that into a chicken coop, and so I did. So I turned it into a chicken coop, put a run on the outside for the chickens to go in and out, and everything seemed great, put the chickens out there. But as soon as I got the chickens out there, pretty soon I started to notice that there were foxes swarming around. I mean, all the time. So whenever I'd walk outside, there'd be a fox swarming around the chicken coop. At night, whenever I'd walk out right at dusk, there'd be a fox or three or four or five just all around it. I thought, man, what is going on? As soon as I put these chickens here, then foxes started to be attracted from miles and miles away. I mean, they just drew them in. But it turns out that wasn't the case because as I started to look at it a little bit closer, I looked underneath. I watched as they were walking around. Pretty soon I discovered that I had built my chicken coop right on top of a fox den. Now, there's a life lesson for you. Don't ever build a chicken coop right on top of a fox den. I'm sure the foxes were underneath there with a fork and with a knife and just ready to go. Uh, and so what I do, I mean, I bought the property. They already lived here. So I guess I'm just at the mercy of foxes eating my chickens, right? No, I evicted the foxes. I mean, I did a lot of stuff to get rid of these foxes. I boarded up underneath the shed. I did a lot of stuff to get rid of the foxes. Why? Because it's my house. I bought the house. I get to decide what lives on my property. Here's the spiritual truth. Here's the spiritual reality for us. You get to decide what lives in your home. You get to decide what lives in your heart. Ephesians chapter 5, it says in, starting off in verse 11, it says, take no in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Listen, Jesus has bought you. You are now the property of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's his house. You get to decide what lives in there, though. Is it going to be darkness or is it going to be light? All right, so don't build your chicken coop on a fox den. That's lesson number one. You get to decide what lives in your heart. That's the spiritual truth. You get to decide whether darkness lives in your heart or whether light lives in your heart. You know what? This is always revealed, not in the good times necessarily. It's usually revealed in situations. Because when everything's fine, then guess what? We, don't, we, we can mask it pretty well. But this is revealed what actually lives in our heart through situations. And so how many of you guys are ready to stop playing games with God? Anybody? I mean, okay, two people. All right, take two. All right, can I get a third? Can I get a third? I'll, I'll keep preaching if I can get three. There we go. That's the third one. All right. So, yeah. So let's stop playing games with God. The first, I, I preached a variation of this message to the youth. Uh, I always, it was last year at some point, and I knew at some point this would be something for everybody else. And so I, I, there's a little bit more going on here, but I want you to get this, this illustration, okay? There's a few different games we need to stop playing with God. The first one is sorry. Have you guys have ever played this game before? Sorry? Anybody? All right. How many of you guys have ever played sorry before? Anybody? All right, how many of you, you've never played the game Sorry before at all? All right, one per, two, three, okay, more. All right, here's the game. You got these little pieces, you go around, and you 
win. That's how you play the game. The the, the game Sorry, actually, it's traced back to England. It has a registered trademark of May 21st, 1929. Not that anybody even cares about that, but just a little fun fact for you guys. What I'm talking about Sorry is not this game of Sorry. I'm talking about the game of Sorry that we play with God that we need to stop, which is this. It's when we say Sorry, but there's no real repentance. And we go through this game with God. We do something, we screw something up, or we have a sin, or something we keep going over and over again, and we go back and we say, sorry, 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 but nothing is really changing in our heart. How many of you guys, when you guys were a kid, you were made to apologize to like your brother or sister? How many of you guys ever, yeah, and, and whenever you're made to say sorry, it's never genuine, is it? You're like, sorry, you know, it's, and nothing has really changed. This is the game a lot of us play with God. We play sorry with God. We say, sorry, but nothing has ever changed. And what happens is we, we continue in our hard heart. Sorry is when we refuse to open up. Sorry is when we refuse to open up to God and to others. If we want to live free, though, how many of you guys want to live free? I want to live free. We have to walk in the light. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light, as he, keep that in mind, as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you see that Jesus is light? He's the light of the world. And Jesus lives in light. If we want to have fellowship with Jesus, now catch this this morning. If you want to hang out with Jesus, here's what I want you to know. It depends, it matters where you are because Jesus lives in light. Jesus doesn't hang around in dark places. If you're hanging around in a dark place, in a hidden place, and you wonder why there's broken fellowship, it's because Jesus doesn't live there. Jesus lives in light. It's not that sin is keeping you back from God so much. It's that Jesus just doesn't hang out there. Jesus lives in light. And if you want to hang out with Jesus, if you want to be closer to Jesus, the closer you are to light, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to truth. The only way to overcome darkness is by bringing it into the light. Here's the problem, though. A lot of people take two different approaches. Like, we want to walk in the light. We want to live in the light. And we take two different approaches. The first approach, wrong approach that we take is this. It's like, well, I'm just going to wait until I get caught in my sin, in my issue, in my situation, in my attitude. I'm going to wait until I get caught and then come clean. And then I'll live in the light. In, in fact, uh, In marriage, even, it says that for a survey I just saw, it said 40% of married Americans admit to keeping a secret from their spouse. So even in the most intimate of relationships that we have, it still seems acceptable for us to keep some sort of secret and hide something in the dark. Listen, we'll never walk free. Jesus doesn't hang out there. And eventually you will get caught. And then that's when it's, oh, well, I'll come clean and I'll reveal this when I get caught. How many of you guys know that's not a healthy way to live? That's a way to have a hard heart. You know, I, I, I like to say it this way and I, I'm just making this up. So right now, so, um, but Beck and I, we don't, we don't keep secrets from one another. I'd say it this way. We actually share secrets that no one else knows because we're that clo- We're that close. I don't keep secrets. We share secrets. That's how a marriage ought to be. We're going to be talking about marriage in a couple weeks, but that's just a little freebie there for you right now. All right, so that's the first approach that's wrong. The second approach that's wrong, well, let let me just continue. That there's a difference between getting caught in sin and confessing sin. See, when you're caught in sin and you reveal it, that's not much of a revelation. You know what confession is? And there's an amazing power in confession. Confession is when you bring something voluntarily out of darkness into the light before anyone else knows about it. And there's extreme power in confession. If you want to be free, it won't happen because you get caught in a sin and now it's exposed. It will happen because you drag that out of darkness and you place it in the light. I'm I'm preaching really good today, guys. I just thought, just to let you know, I'm kind of grading myself right now, but just having a little fun. All right, the second way is this. Second way, I'll clean up first. 
Then I'll start walking in light once I get rid of my issue. You know you got an issue. You know you got something hidden. And you're like, okay, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to extinguish this. I'm going to stop that. And then from that point on, I'm going to be an open book. Again, that loses all power. That, that bypasses the whole point of the issue entirely. In fact, most likely it won't work anyway, and you will still be stuck in darkness. How many of you guys have discovered that in your life before? You're trying to say, man, I'll just work on this, and then I'll walk in light. And then you realize, I've been working on this forever. Because there's no power in that. There's no power in that. Here's the thing. Confession, it, we think it's going to bring hurt, but confession, confession actually brings healing. I've had over the years as a pastor and as a youth pastor, people confess all sorts of things to me. And, and what I mean by confession is simply opening up, simply dragging something from dark into the light. Uh, people, teenagers c- confess that they had tried to commit suicide before. Teenager, uh, teenagers confess that they had drug issues or uh, people addicted to porn or, you know, people who ha- had demonic activity in their life. Some of the things that people have shared with me and brought out of darkness into the light voluntarily are some of the most bizarre things that I can't even talk about, okay? <laughs> because as a pastor, you just kind of hear all these things. But I'm telling you, anytime I saw someone willingly, voluntarily drag something they had been hiding and let light expose it. They brought healing in their life. It gave an opportunity for healing to happen. But the longer we keep it hidden, the less chance of freedom we will actually have. Let me give you just a a quick example. Uh, Years ago, my wife and I, we we got into a discussion or a, a fight. It happens about once every decade for us. That's a joke, people. That's a joke. This happens more than that. And uh, so we, we got into a discussion, an argument, and we were going kind of in the heat of the moment, you know, just kind of upset with one another. And finally, I had this moment just kind of wash over me, and I realized I'm not very mature. <laughs> and so I said that. I verbalized that, and I said, I'm not mature enough to have this conversation. I want to be. I know I should be. I know I'm expected to be. And by now I know enough of the scripture and I follow Jesus long enough to be mature enough to have a conversation like this. But honestly, I'm just not mature enough. Maybe we need to stop. And the fact of the matter is I wasn't mature enough to have that conversation. But you know what? As soon as I brought that out into the light, I matured. Just by bringing that into the light, something changed just by me being willing to admit where I was actually at and where I needed to go brought healing, health, and maturity. And it never would happen if I keep it in the darkness. So we've got to stop playing sorry with God. The next game we've got to stop playing is risk. Now, how many of you guys like risk? I've talked about risk a couple months ago. Uh, My risk days uh, are legendary. I would make a day out of playing risk. Uh, I would, we had, I'm just to short story it up here. We had tournaments. We had, I had to finally stop playing risk because I wanted a wife. And so I had to give that up. At one point we had this prize for our tournament. It was a, it was a calf pinata that we spray painted gold. It was a golden calf, people. It was a golden calf, and I've repented of my sins since then. Uh, our friend moved away, and he had to fly back. He had won the golden calf. He had to fly back, had to buy a plane ticket for the golden calf on his way back for the tournament. We were risk players, okay? I'm not talking about that kind of risk. I'm not talking about world domination on the board game or any of that. What I'm talking about is this constant playing this constant game with God of risking of being found out. See, sorry is when we refuse to open up, but risk is when we willingly choose to cover up. Those are two different things, by the way. It's when we're constantly playing this game of trying to cover up. It's when we choose to cover up constantly. Now, I have a story to share, uh, but to do that, I have to take you back down memory lane. And let's do that through video. I'm going to take you back down memory lane in my life. Why? Because tomorrow, January 22nd, 2018, marks the day that 23 years ago, 
I held hands with Becca for the very first time. I know, ah, oh, I know, I get it, yeah. And it was what, I remember it because we were watching The Lion King in the Trail Theater in St. Joseph, Missouri. It took like a buck to get in, but it was a memorable moment. So there we were holding hands in the theater for the very first time. And, and that seems like a small thing, but it really it was a much bigger thing. Because if I rewind the tape 10 months earlier, we were at one of those Acquire the Fire events. Now, if you don't know what that is, it was a huge rally with a bunch of teenagers, a bunch, it was a weekend long thing, bunch of great sermons, bunch of great music, and it was a big, huge youth event. And there we were, and at the very end of the event, uh, they always had this thing where they would challenge people to date God for a year. I mean, not like literally date God, but the idea is push aside all other relationships and just focus on your relationship with God. And so I wanted to do that. We wanted to do that. I remember exactly where I was standing when they made the call. And here's how they did that. They had everybody close their eyes and everybody bow their heads and they were challenging. Hey, if you want to do this, then in just a moment, you're going to raise your hand. And I knew exactly where I was sitting. I remember it like it was yesterday. Becca was a row in front of me, about three or four chairs away. And so there we are with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And they say, if that's what you want to do, date God for a year, raise your hand. And so everybody starts to raise their hand. And before I raised my hand, I peeked. Why? I wanted to see what she was going to do. <laughs> and so I looked over and I saw her hand go up. And so I said, all right, God, we can make this deal. And so I, I raised my hand too. And so there we were. Now, fast forward back to 10 months later, not quite a year later. And there we were in the theater and we had this kind of hidden moment and God brought this scripture to mind. And it's out of the book of Proverbs. It says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. And, and if God was speaking to me in that moment. He's like, listen, if you want to do this, this is fine. I, I'm okay with that. My parents, our parents were, it wouldn't have had, it, it wasn't that. It was simply that I was getting ready to go down a road of trying to hide something for the last two months. And God challenged me. He said, no, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Don't be going around playing this shell game with God. And that may seem like a very small thing, but I believe it was a turning point for me in life. And so out of that, we brought those things out into the light. You see, until we expose the dark places, we will never be able to walk in the light. God never blesses who we pretend to be. He always works with and blesses who we really are. And if we want to constantly put up this, this shell game with God, this risk to cover up things, God will never bless that. God will never work with that. It's only when we bring things out into the light that God can really work with us in the way that's going to be life-changing and bear fruit. God only works with who we really are. That leads me to the next game we've got to stop playing with God. And it's this game we picked up not too long ago. Well, it was about, about a year ago. It's called Super Fight. Has anybody heard of Super Fight? Anybody? Super Fight. Have you heard of Super Fight? All right. If you don't know what Super Fight is, let me explain this. You've got these white cards up here. You guys can see the white cards. And they have names on them. Rambo, Mike Tyson, Akarni, and Chuck Norris. And so these are your character cards. And so if you had four people playing this game right now, so you, you take these cards, and, and the, the white card is your character card. That's who you are, okay? And the idea is to, to everybody's going to vote on who would win in a fight, okay? Is it going to be Rambo, Mike Tyson, Akarni, or Chuck Norris? And then you add these black cards, which are attribute cards on top of that. So it looks like this. It's Rambo, but he's just drank five energy drinks. Yes. So now he's got five energy drinks, and, but he's locked in a shark cage. So that's a little bit of a detriment. But it's Rambo with five energy drinks locked in a shark cage versus Mike Tyson riding a war elephant wearing a jetpack versus a carny carrying a baby in a spacesuit. I don't know where that came from. Versus Chuck Norris. He's made of guacamole. But he's armed with a flamethrower. So now you have to vote on who's going to win in a fight. First of all, let's see. Anybody think Rambo's going to win this fight? Anybody? All right. Uh, Mike Tyson. Is Mike Tyson going to win? Whoa, Mike Tyson got a lot of votes. How about the Carney? Is the Carney going to win? No votes for the Carney. How about Chuck Norris? Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris automatically wins, guys. It's it. It's over. It doesn't matter if he's made of guacamole. He's already won. All right. All right, so that, that's just a fun way of, 
uh, yeah, of looking at this. And so here's, here's how it plays out. In my, here's how my mind works. Because I see myself playing this game with God and other people all the time. You see, I've got who I really am. See, see uh, super fight is when we strategically puff ourselves up. You see, I have who I am, Sean, right? That's who I am. But I also get tempted to add these attribute cards. So I'm Sean, but hey, you know what? I'm a pastor. I'm going to put that card on there. I want you to see that I'm a, str- I'm a strong, dedicated leader. Boy, I'm going to put another attribute card. i got a strong work ethic. i got another attribute card that, man, I like to have a lot of fun. I put all these attribute cards on there, which all those things are actually, I think they're true about me. The problem is it's, it's not what I'm putting out for you. It's what I've left undone because it's not the whole story. Because even though I am a hard worker and a strong, I want to be a strong, that's my desire and all that stuff. Sometimes, you know what, if I were to put the real attribute cards out or the rest of them out, it would be things like, is sarcastic, <laughs> is pretty cynical sometimes, uh, doesn't love like he wants to. So you guys see where I'm saying it? See? And what we do is when it comes to all of our relationships, that's a form of mask wearing where we wear a mask and we, we put who we really are. And it's not untrue. It's not that these things are untrue. It's just that they're incomplete. And we play this game with God. Well, God, I, I want to serve you more. Well, that may be true. But yet, if I don't ever put out the real cards, then we can't have an honest conversation. And I especially play that with other people depending on what crowd I'm in. I may put out certain attribute cards depending on what crowd I'm in. Isn't that true of what we do sometimes? And so what happens is we have a hard heart. It leads to a hard heart. We never live in the light. You see, uh, if we, we can never give or receive love through a false identity. And we're talking about unearthing our true identity. You can never give or receive real love under a false identity. And if what I'm presenting to you isn't the real version of me, then if you, and here's the painful thing, guys. If you love me or like me because of the cards I've strategically put out, it's not even that you like me or that you're loving me. You've loved the version of me that I've projected. This is why we feel empty. This is why we don't feel like we have real relationships with one another. This is why we get disappointed in other people. Because we've put out this attribute card that we know is not, it's not complete, but we put all these out. And then when somebody doesn't meet our expectations or love us in the way we think they should, then we get all disappointed with them because look how great I am or look how many needs I have. And come on, guys, you know I'm telling the truth here. This is why we feel empty. This is why we get upset with other people. This is why we never have real relationships at the depth that they should be. It's because we're only playing the attribute cards we want. And they're usually, the reason we play them is because we're looking over at somebody else and they've got a lot of great attribute cards sitting out there. Especially if I go, want to come to work, you know, if I want to keep up with those other people, man, I got to put out a lot of attribute cards. If I want to come to church and I want to look spiritual and look like I got it together, I got to put out a lot of attribute cards. In my mar- even in our marriage, we can do this. So we've got to stop playing supervise. It's when we strategically puff ourselves up. If we want to live right, we just simply live in the light. What would happen if we could just strip off all those attribute cards and just be Sean? Just be Joseph, right? I mean, just, just Gary, right? And just let those things fall to the wayside with God. That's a challenge. Last game, well, there's two more games. One we need to stop and one we need to start. But the last one we need to stop is this game called Perfection. Yeah, there's a collective groan there. I, there's that kind of a knowing thing there. Yeah, kind of hit. How many of you guys remember this game, Perfection? This uh, game, the actual game. Do we have a picture of that one? I don't know if we got a picture of it or not. We don't? Okay. Uh, it's the, this game that you, you, you put all these pieces in, the, the board game, or it's like a plastic thing, and you have to, a timer. you got to put them all in. They're different shapes and stuff, and you have a time limit, and if you don't get them in in time, what, the, the whole thing pops up. Everything goes chaotic on you. 
This has got to drive some people nuts, right? I mean, so you're just under a time crunch. Everything is about perfection. When the time comes up, chaos. Perfection is when we're scared to death to mess it up. Sorrow is when we refuse to open up. Risk is when we're choosing to cover up. Superfied is when we're strategically puffing ourselves up. Or perfection is when we're scared to death we're going to mess it up. We have to keep, the, we have to keep it up here. We, have to, we cannot let something drop. We cannot let anything go down. See, I've shared this before, but my dad, he, he instilled... A, a really strong work ethic in us as boys. He, there's five of us, and we had a, I mean, we would work in insane conditions, and every day, if you were a minute late, you got the, an hour dock from pay. I mean, it was like, it was, it was really, really good in a lot of ways, but the thing is, when you're working construction, you, I learned very, very quickly that your value is, is the result of what you can produce. How much you can produce in a day, how much you can build, it literally equals your monetary value. And so we would work hard. We would work hard and we, I learned very quick, at the end of the day, if you step back and you could see what you did, if you showed up at a house and there was just a foundation, by the end of the day, you put on a floor, you looked back and you said, there it is. That's how much I am worth. And it was a very positive thing as far as work ethic. But here's the thing, over time, it starts to shift. And I allowed it to be a negative thing in my life because I started to see everything in the terms of production equals value. And if someone else wasn't producing at the level I thought they should, I assigned a value to that. If someone didn't, and if you couldn't look back at something you did, like at the time when I was working construction, I was like, what do office people do? I don't even know. They must have no value because they aren't building anything. How many, what are phone calls? I don't know. Like, what does that produce? So I would even have this idea that if you worked not in something you couldn't produce or couldn't step back and look at, that you must be just like bypassing the system, a loophole in the system somewhere and getting paid for doing nothing. How many of you guys, this, re, this idea resonates with you. You, you get it, okay? Okay, I'm talking to some people. You, you kind of understand this. I had this production mentality with God. Production equals how much value you have. And what happens is we end up becoming spiritual slaves when it comes to our relationship with God. Spiritual slaves. You say slaves, yeah. It's like a servant-slave mentality that's talked about that I have to work and work and work and play the game of perfection with God. And I know there's grace. And I know I mess up. And I know there's all these things. But I've got to keep the standard up. I have to keep it up. Because if I don't, it's going to pop and everything's going to go to chaos. And I don't know what that world looks like. And my value to God really is based on my performance. It's based on what I can produce. If I can produce enough right living, if I can produce enough impressive results to God and to other people, that equals the value I have to other people and the value that I have to God. Now, I'm preaching way down into dark places in our hearts right now. I know that I am. Deeper places we want to admit. I know because they're there with me. But we play this game of perfection. Now, slaves or servants, whatever you're comfortable with, are performance-driven. Driven. Here are some of the marks. If you want to know, am I this? Let me give you just a few ideas to, to wrestle with. Number one, they believe that their position is based on their own merits and talents. So wherever you're at in life, it's based on what you can accomplish, what you have accomplished, how good you are. Maybe it's based on your attribute cards, whatever it is. Number two, they're constantly threatened by others. Why? Because if my value equals how much I can produce, if someone else can produce more, they must be more valuable. So I'm constantly threatened by other people if I'm in this mindset. Number three, they're highly competitive. Because of that, they're highly competitive. And listen to this, are only in relationships with people who can help them. Because again, if my relationships and my relationship with God are all based on this perfection, I cannot have any dead weight. I have to trim the fat. I have to have it streamlined in my life because there's no margin for error. Number four. They're constantly trying to prove something 
to someone. Well, I'm just going to prove to you that I can do this. If you say I can't, I will. You say I can't go this far, I'll go further. See, I understand this world, guys. I battled this world. I'm constantly leaning into grace. And I was just thinking this morning as I was just walking around, I was like, again, this thought that grace is the answer to much more than we think it is. It really is. And whenever I'm in this mindset, I cannot receive grace. I cannot give grace. If you find yourself with a short fuse all the time, it's because this is you. Because everything has to be just the way you think it needs to be. Can I just tell you, and you know it, God wants to set you free from that. And guess what? And this is going to freak you out, but it's going to be a mess. Just let that wash over you and get over it. The pieces aren't going to be where they need to be. They're just not. And it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be great. That's the deep work God wants to do in you. Here's the good news. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons, sons and daughters. And because you are sons, God has filled, has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Here's it, here it is. You are no longer a slave. You no longer have to play the game of perfection, guys. Whoo, that should just set you free right there. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. You ready for this? Ready for this truth? Okay, if you get this, man, it's worth coming. Okay, here we go. Here it is. Your value is not based on what you do. It's based on who you are. That's the only value. That's the only thing that measures your value. It's not on your production. It's that you're a son or a daughter. The degree to which you understand that will be the degree to which you live in freedom. That's it. That's just that simple. But as long as we hang on to this idea of control, we will never be free. See, freedom means freedom. It doesn't mean control. It's actually the opposite. We need to reset our true identity before God. Brady Boyd in one of his books said this. He says, if I brought the message, if I bought the message so many church unwittingly, churches unwittingly broadcast today, I would come away thinking that Jesus Christ came to earth and died a horrific death on a cross for the sole purpose of behavior modification. Moralism, as it's commonly called. But Jesus didn't come to correct our behavior. He came to correct our identity. I'm all for sinning less. It's just not the reason why Christ came. Now, here's a key thought if you find yourself in this category. And it's this. You don't have to prove anything. You've already been approved. You don't have to prove anything. I'm telling you, I'm telling you that is the truth. You, you know, but Sean, what if I... No, I'm just telling you, you don't have to prove anything ever to anyone again. God has approved you. You have been Approved. To illustrate this, I like to illustrate this with a story that I've told before, but it's much more fun to just tell it again. Let's do it. Okay, so years ago, I was having a meeting in my office. And so in this meeting was my sister-in-law, Nikki, and uh, this guy named David Kenny. He's a good friend of mine, and he was doing graphics and stuff for us at that, at that time. So we're just sitting there having a meeting. I'm sitting at my desk. They're sitting over there and just having a good meeting. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, Nikki just jumps up and screams bloody murder. And we're just like, what in the world? And then we just thought, well, maybe it's just Nikki. That's just kind of what happens sometimes. And so she just screams. And so I kind of casually turn around to look at what she was, was reacting to. And I turned around and I look and I saw a spider. Now I didn't see a spider. I saw a spider. 
How many of you guys hate spiders? Uh, I don't, I'm not too fond of them, but I'm just telling you, this was the largest spider I had ever seen. I'm telling you, this thing was huge. It was the biggest thing I'd ever seen in my life, in our lives. It's the biggest thing we've ever seen. And so I run out, I run to the doorway. I'm trying to figure out what to do. We're just sitting there and I'm staring in the doorway, looking back at this spider, trying to figure out what to do. I'm thinking this thing is huge. I mean, so huge. We could get meat out of this thing. I mean, this thing is huge. And as I'm sitting there, pondering that my friend David all of a sudden we, we had one of those water cooler things you know where you you can go over and get a drink of water out of and it's like a big five gallon uh, tank thing well it was something like this only much bigger filled with water out of the blue as I'm pondering this he chucks it across the room throws the five gallon water tank across the room by chance it lands right on the spider we could hear the bones breaking, splat. I mean, just the mercy of God, it lands right on the spider. I'm just sitting there, what in the world just happened? I look over at David. He's like in intense, like adrenaline rush, just like, what has he done? He's been in some sort of battle. This was the biggest spider we've ever seen. I am not kidding you. So we went away from that went to go tell everybody about this. I mean, this is like an event. It's like a BC and an AD, you know, it's like one of those, those events that just marks you, you know? And so we went away from that, trying to tell people about this event tell them this spider was huge. I'm telling you, it was this big and nobody believed us. Nobody, oh, come on. Yeah, no, I'm serious. It was the biggest spider we had ever seen. And I began to describe it and no one believed us. They said, where's the picture? Come on, why didn't you take a picture? I said, I didn't take a picture. I mean, this is like, I'm trying to run for my life here. I'm not going to take a picture of it, but no one would believe me. And so finally, after a while, everybody's saying, prove it, prove it, prove it. I just gave up trying to prove it to people that it actually happened. And this is what I think we need to do with God. We really need to give up trying to prove things with God. You see, we have all these lists sometimes of all these things that we try to do that tries to prove to God how good we are, tries to prove how much of a Christian we are, that tries to prove. And whenever we get into that mentality, that is that slave servant mentality. That's not the identity of a son or a daughter of God. We don't have to prove things. We've already been approved. Let me just show you how deep this runs in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter three and verse 16 and 17, we see Jesus just coming out of the wilderness. He's just done fasting. And here's what it says in verse 16. It says, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Now listen to this last part. It says, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, the father is saying this about Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this. This is before any ministry happened. This is before any miracles happened. This is before he turned the water to wine. This is before he walked on water. This is before he healed anybody. He was just a carpenter. He didn't have any list of any accomplishments. He didn't have a list of anything that proved how miraculous he was or all the benefits he had unleashing the kingdom of God. But God said he was pleased. Listen, I want us to get this, and I'm going to keep preaching this message until we get it, that God, we don't have to prove things. We have already been approved. When you take on that identity, see, it changes our identity from being a servant to being a son or a daughter in the house. When we take on that identity, guess what? We don't hide in shame in the darkness. If you've already been approved, you don't run from the light. You run to the light because you have already been approved. Man, so if we have been approved, there's no need to hide in the darkness, is there? See, the degree to which we live in darkness, it just reveals how much we understand this or not. Because if you've been approved, there is no reason, there is no reason to live in darkness anymore. It doesn't matter. Because you are a son or daughter in the house. The game we really need to be playing is this game called Operation. How you guys remember this game? Is a uh, prototype was invented in 1964 by John Spinello. He sold the rights to Milton Bradley for $500 and the promise of a job once he got out of college. Today, they estimate the franchise is worth $40 million. How do you guys remember this game? If you don't know what this game is, there's actually a, another shot of, of this game where it's like the, the board game and it has these holes in the guy. He's like laying there with these holes in him. And deep down inside the holes are things like bones, 
heart and liver and bread baskets and stuff, you know, and you take these tweezers and you pull them out of the guy. And if you happen to touch the side as you're pulling the part of this body out of him, you think how grotesque this game is. And as you happen to touch the side, it electrocutes you if you happen to touch the side. Now, we had this game, I believe, when we were kids, but we didn't have, uh, it, we never got electrocuted because we couldn't afford the batteries like all the rich kids could. And so we played the game, but it just kind of had not as much fun. But here's a game we really need to be playing with God. God, or that really we need to allow God to work on us. God, operate. Work on me. And we just simply lay there and allow God to get into the deep parts of our life. We allow God to say, God, you have access. All access, all the way. God, I'm giving it all to you. You see, it's when we voluntarily bring something out of darkness and we let light expose to it. That's where power is. And I just wonder if there might be something that somebody has here today that you need to put, push something out of the dark and into the light. Now, I just want to leave you with that idea. Maybe there is. And if there is, what do you do? If there is, where, where do you go from there? But, but is there something you need to push out of darkness into the light? I'll give you just a quick example. A couple, uh, well, it's been several months ago now. Maybe it was last year or so. Um, my son went out to some, see a movie or something like that, and, and he, he was going to stay out late, but he had a curfew, and, and so he's supposed to be back at a certain time. And, and so, like a good dad, I just went to sleep. I don't, mean, I don't know if he's showing back up or not, but uh, I, just, I went to sleep because we had a curfew. I woke up in the morning. His car was there. He survived. That's a win as a parent right there, right there. It's a win. And so uh, I, I, that's all I knew. He went there. I went to sleep. Well, later that day, he came to me, and he said... Uh, Dad, I just wanted you to know that uh, I missed my curfew last night. It was about a half an hour off. I didn't know how long the movie was going to take. I didn't know it. And it turns out, even though I went straight home, I just wanted you to know that. Now, that's not a big thing. But do you see how powerful that is? Do you see what confession actually is? Confession is when you volunteer information when you don't have to. You realize how much freedom and trust that brings in a relationship? You know how much freedom that does? See, God is a God who, whenever we do that, it's a safe place to do that. And some of you might need to do that with some other people in your life, maybe even a spouse or something or a close friend. Sorry is when we refuse to open up. Risk is when we choose to cover up. Super fight is when we strategically puff ourselves up. Perfection is when we're scared to death to mess it up. You know what operation is? Operation is when we simply decide to give it all up. Just say, God, I give it all up to you. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.